welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Sermon text is page 996 in the Pew Bible. We're finishing this morning our lectionary readings on uh, Paul's two letters to Timothy. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning on page 996. Now here at the end of this sermon series, at the end of this second letter, and as Father Ben said last week, at the end of his life, this is probably Paul's last letter, Paul mentions many people specifically by name, which is, this is not a very uncommon uh, ending to many of his letters. Paul mentions people by name quite a bit at the end of his letters, Uh, but this is different. This letter is different. The tone, it cuts deep. Over 23 times in these 14 verses, Paul says, I or me. It's a very personal section of this letter. In reading these words, you can almost physically feel his anguish. Feel his anguish, the accumulated weight of a life filled with love. It is the depths of Paul's love that I want to reflect on this morning. 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked his first disciples, he asked them this question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He asked of Simon Peter. He called to Simon. He changed his name to Peter. And then he said, come with me and you will see. Come with me and you will see. After his resurrection, at the end of John's gospel, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Much to Peter's dismay, he asked him three times and he he wasn't listening. Apparently, Peter, Jesus, I do love you. I love you. And after the third time, he told Peter how he would die. He told Peter how he would die with arms outstretched like his Lord. With arms outstretched like his Lord. And I I imagine Jesus gently saying this to Peter as he he describes the way that he's going to die. Uh, And I picture, this is is an apocryphal edition by me. Um, I, I, I picture him saying, Be brave, Peter. Follow me. Because following him in the context of that exhortation means following me to the cross. So what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What am I seeking? Do you love me? These questions are at the beginning and the end and the every day of the gospel proclamation. Follow me. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the Apostle Paul's last account of his answer to that call. This is his answer. Come with me. Stretch out your arms and die and live. Follow me. See, our text is a very vivid scene. It's a very, it's a very intricate and emotional scene. I can see it. I can see it in my head. If, if you want to do this, if it's not weird to you, close your eyes and picture this with me. The Paul in chains. Every one of his companions is gone, except for loyal Luke. Don't want to forget about Luke, but Luke is still there. Paul is already getting a bit cold at night, and it's not even winter yet. He's already been poured out. He's tired. He's cold. 
and he's alone. All right, you can open your eyes now. And yet, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his depression, I hear Paul singing David's psalm because it's all over. Psalm 22 is all over this text from beginning to end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you deserted me? The same word. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. On the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I am poured out like water, David said. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. So he's singing that in some ancient Hebrew uh, melody that I don't know, and thankfully I don't know it, and I didn't sing it for you this morning, but this is the image I have in my head. So what are you seeking this morning? Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4 in the beginning of our reading in verse 6. I, the Apostle Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, award to me on that day. So the Apostle Paul sums up his life's work as a sacrificial drink offering, as a fight, as a race that he is won. I want to have Paul's confidence, don't you? To speak with that kind of boldness and that kind of, the confidence of faith, not not just at the end of my life, Lord, very specifically at the end of my life, but every day of my life, I want to have that confidence of faith that I would have the same joy at the end of my life if I was in a jail cell awaiting an unjust execution. Would I have the same confidence and joy in Christ if my deathbed isn't a cold Roman prison, but it was a, it was a comfortable bed with my family all around me? And when I'm old and gray, what then? Will I be faithful then? Would that be my same testimony? Paul continues, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, This is where we come into the picture. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To all who have loved his appearing. Paul summarizes the life of faith with three words in this text that I want to focus on this morning. Love his appearing. The simple phrase. What does that mean? Love his appearing. So I want to focus briefly on the first word before we get to the whole phrase. Love. If you know me at all, you know that I am a deep feeler. I'm a deep feeler, which some would take to mean that I am a lover. I've been called a lover boy a few times. 
Uh, my second son is maybe in that tradition of lover boy. Um, but being a deep feeler makes me no better at love than you, okay? My, my deep feelings may or may not be love. They might, need, might, they might be the marker of love, but there's no, there's no telling. People who speak confidently about love are generally the people who I would not even begin to listen to to define love. Those are not the people that I would want to listen to. And so I, I want to I reflect on and stick as closely as I can to Paul's second letter, his second letter to Timothy. Now, there are four Greek words for love in the New Testament. And in this letter, Paul uses two different words, two different words. Agape love, which if you've been in church for a little bit, you've probably heard that one before. And phileo, which is, which is uh, friendship love, right? And so we translate them both as love in English because both of these words have very significant overlap. They both mean love, okay? One doesn't mean like fake love and one doesn't mean real love, okay? They actually both have significant overlap, but there is one difference and certainly in Paul's usage of these two words in this letter in particular. In this letter in particular, Paul writes 2 Timothy to his beloved child, to his beloved Timothy. This is agape. Several times throughout his letter, Paul urges Timothy to follow Paul in his faith, his manner of life, and his, his love, his agape love. Agape love emphasizes the gift or the grace of love, which is one reason why you might have heard that agape love is God's love, full stop. You might have, you might have grown up like this. All these other loves, but this is real love, all right? This is agape love, you know, not that fake love, but this is agape love, okay? Um, that's not true, and I'm not going to break that down fully this morning, but agape love is, it is a love that we don't want to receive by nature and by our sinful nature because it is given when we don't deserve it. This is the kind of love that comes in uh, when we are not lovely, and someone declares that we are lovely. Nobody wants pity. Nobody wants to be called beautiful when we don't feel like it. We want to earn it. We want to put on our lipstick and earn that beautiful comment. Thank you very much. To win the trophy because we actually won a game. It's not a, it's not a uh, participation trophy, okay? Like, that's, that's, just, that's just not right, okay? Agape love is that kind of love. It's a love that serves and a love that suffers for the beloved, not depending upon the action of the beloved all the time. First, the first love. In this way, without question, agape love is the love of God in Christ. And so Paul, he summarizes the Christian life in three words, love, agape, love his Appearing. And this agape love is contrasted in chapter three with phileo love. Look with me at chapter three. It's, a, it's at the first of that page on page, I think, 996. In verse two of chapter three of 2 Timothy, for people will be lovers of self. This is phileo, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, the list goes on, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. 
Okay, so there's a contrast over and over again throughout this letter between agape love and and phileo love. So for Paul, faithful living, for faithful living is described as this agape love, this loving his appearing to to long for his appearing with a longing too deep for words. So agape love that reflects this expectant attitude and joy even in prison, awaiting an unjust execution. So now let's turn our attention to the whole phrase, okay? That's the love part, okay? Introduction, love his appearing. What does this mean? Now, all of this apparent distinction between agape love and phileo love so far in this letter, it comes to a point here at the end in this verse, in verse 8, he says, the crown of righteousness, chapter 4, verse 8, the crown of righteousness will be given to all who have agape, who have loved his appearing. Verse 9, do your best to come to me, Timothy. Please, come on, do your best. For Demas, in love, in agape, with this present world. This is, this is a shocking turn, at least in this letter. It's a shocking turn. He is devoted, wholly devoted and lo- in love with this present world. He has deserted me, has forsaken me, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. It's a, it's, that's not as a forceful of, aban- of abandonment, but he feels it. He feels the loss. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. For ministry. So this, this kind of sacrificial gift love, this graceful love, agape love is pointed not at his appearing. This is Demas's love is not pointed at his appearing. Demas's agape love is aimed at this present age, this present world. Love his appearing or in this text, love this present age. So Let's, let's define what is his appearing. What does that mean? And you guys already know the answer. Okay, you guys ready? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Yeah, you got it. You passed the test. Good job, Anglicans. Christ will come again at his appearing. Okay, this, this is clearly referring to Christ's second coming, to his return to judge the living at the dead, uh, living and the dead. And so at the moment of the murder of Paul, it was not the end for Paul. He's acknowledging that this is not the end. Every moment of his life, including his last moment, it pointed towards the resurrection from the dead when Christ will appear, as the creed says, to judge the living and the dead, to give to the faithful departed eternal rest and to the living faithful the crown of righteousness in this text. It's a really beautiful picture. So the contrast in this letter is not finally between agape love and phileo love. The difference is not a difference in love, but a difference in aim. A difference in aim. Paul, over and over again in this letter, he says to Timothy, follow my aim in life. What is his aim in life? It is not, clearly in this text, it's not this present age. He, he's joyful in the midst of a terrible situation. His aim is in Jesus' appearing, the return of Jesus, the unveiling or the apocalypse or the appearing of our Lord. So Jesus asked Peter at the beginning of his ministry, what are you seeking? And at the end of his ministry, 
before he calls him to follow him, do you love me? And this is the same question. Do you love me? What are you seeking? You follow what you love. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Be ready in the night for the unexpected return of the Lord. Love his appearing or love this present age. That's the choice. Seek his appearing or seek security on earth. Is your life oriented towards this present world or toward his appearing? Are your day in and day out actions more devoted to earthly comfort or the pursuit of holiness? Is your life geared towards security in retirement or security in Christ? And I could nuance, hear me, this is really important. I could nuance every one of those dichotomies that I'm giving you right there, okay? There's a whole lot more going on than just the black and white of, those, of this question. But I want you to feel this tension because this is black and white for Paul right here. For Paul in prison, for Demas comfortable in Thessalonica, for you and for me comfortable here today in this place, the choice is between loving the appearing of our Lord Jesus or loving this present, Lord, this present world. So if you're like me, very often you don't act like you love his appearing. You might theologically acknowledge that, right? You might say the creed, and maybe you feel it really good, you know, like I'm saying this creed with a whole heart with gusto, but you don't act like it. And certainly if you, if you act like it, you feel like you're faking it sometimes, right? You don't feel, you don't feel like you love Jesus more than you love this present world. So how do we escape this trap? I've set you up in a trap here. I've set you up in a trap. How can I truly love his appearing and stop loving this present age, this present time, these last days? And so I want to end with two uh, points of application. Number one, Gather together and devote yourself to the sacred writings. Chapter 3, verse 14 of 2 Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And if you remember from the beginning of this letter, he learned it from his grandma and his mom, right? His mom took him to synagogue his whole life. He's heard, he's heard this his whole life from your childhood. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All of Timothy's life, his grandmother and his mom devoted themselves to gathering together with the people of God and hearing the sacred writings over and over again. And here, if you read... If you actually read the Bible, right? If you read the Bible and you hear it, you come to church and you hear it on a regular basis, these sacred, if you read these sacred writings at all, you encounter a whole lot of difficult questions of devotion, of discipleship, challenges. And if you're like me, and here's the reality, you are like me, whether you acknowledge it or not, you are like me, you feel as if you failed the test over and over and over again. I've been reading this this week, and this is where I've been sitting. Do I love his appearing? Do I? Do I actually 
to actually do that, not just say that. But hear this. If you devote yourself to the sacred scriptures, the sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, he says, through whom? Through through faith in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. So to hear the sacred scriptures is to at the same time hear the gospel, which the gospel comes into our life, and it shows us our great need. I don't measure up to this. I don't feel it. I don't, I don't act it. I don't feel it. I don't, I, I don't know. And then at the same time, it holds up our great Savior, a great need and our great Savior over and over again. It is not good news if you are saved by your devotion to agape love. That is not gospel. It does not lead to life. You must be saved through faith in Christ Jesus, united to him by faith in your baptism. C.S. Lewis, one of the, as far as I can tell, one of the best lovers to ever walk this earth. He wrote a, a book called The Four Loves at the very end of his life. Um, you could just not listen to any of the sermon and just read that book over and over again. I encourage you to do that. I'm going to quote him. Um, C.S. Lewis says this in The Four Loves. Man approaches God most nearly when he is least like God when he is least like God, for what can be more unlike than fullness and need? Sovereignty and humility, righteousness and penitence, limitless power and a cry for help. So when we approach God in the gospel, we feel our need rightly. But that is the place that we are closest to God. We're closest to him. Love his appearing. We can only look forward with joy and hope to the final judgment, to his appearing, because it is his appearing. It is Jesus's appearing. Without faith in the limitless love and the unending God of agape love perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. So we love his appearing. Gather together and devote yourself to the sacred writings to hear the good news over and over again. And finally, finally and lastly, to live a life of love means more joy and more sorrow. To live a life of love means more joy and more sorrow. What does Jesus say in the end? Quoting Psalm 22, what does he say from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and Paul is, he's in a very similar situation to his Lord. He's, a, he's approaching his final hour and he remembers what Jesus says. He's read the testimony. He knows the faithful witness. And so he cries out with the same thing. My God, my God, I feel deserted. I feel forsaken. I'm completely alone. I'm utterly deserted by all. I feel forsaken. Again, C.S. Lewis, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, loving this present age. 
hobbies, and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or to at least to risk The risk of tragedy is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. To love the appearing of our Lord Jesus clearly does not mean from this text a monastic life for Paul. The anguish and the grief that the never married apostle Paul feels because of his deep friendship love, his phileo love, his deep longing to see his beloved Timothy before his death. This is not a contradiction to his love for Jesus. We say it every Sunday, love God and necessarily right there with it, love our neighbors on these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. It is a fiction that to love Jesus means the abandonment of all other loves. When we seek first the love of Jesus and the love of his appearing, Jesus cheerfully and abundantly multiplies our love in this life, and he will at the same time multiply your sufferings in this life. Don't even get me started on the fiction that the only true love in life is love manifested in marriage or romantic love. That is a lie. The love of God was perfectly manifest in the never married Jesus Christ, passionately reflected in Paul's depth of love for Jesus, yes, but but also for Timothy and for Luke and the rest of his best friends and brothers in the faith. And Lewis says, The question whether we are loving God or the earthly beloved, so you can make that your dog or your spouse or your best friend. The question of whether we're loving God or the earthly beloved more is not a question about the comparative intensity of two feelings, okay? It's not that we feel it more. The real question is which, when the alternative comes, do you serve? or choose, or put first, to which claim does your will in the last resort yield? And so, Lord, we ask this morning by your Spirit, Lord, I ask that you would help us to that we would have the gift of feeling deeply our love for you, Lord, but that we wouldn't count Um, our security this morning, our union with you um, based upon our loveliness or what we do, but upon the mercies of Christ. Lord, give us the confidence to to not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thief can break in and steal, but store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. This morning, Lord, we pray, let us believe. Lord, let us long and love your appearing, God, and look forward to that day. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christ Church, visit us at ChristChurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.